Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Encore. I'm your host, Tony Franchetti. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Feet Don't Fail Me Now series. This series is an introduction to the organ for pianists so they could move from the piano bench to the organ bench. There are two informational books to teach you more about the instrument itself and some helpful techniques to learn along the way, and also volumes one through six of repertoire to practice. Search Feet Don't Fail Me Now on the GIA website to learn more and to order. And with that, today's guest on the show is a renowned composer, hymn text author, and liturgical publications editor for the WLP division of GIA Publications, Alan Humberding. Alan, thank you for taking some time to come on the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Tony. Hello, and thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Excited to have you on. So the first question, I got uh, kind of just a general question to ask a lot of my guests. So uh, could you tell our listeners and myself, of course, a little bit about your roots and your upbringing? Well, I I am the um, honest-to-goodness small-town boy. I was born and raised in Port Washington, Wisconsin. Uh, When I was a kid, Port Washington had 5,000 people, I believe. And anybody who has been there uh, has seen the church on top of the hill uh, that uh, St. Mary's, that was my hometown parish where I went to grade school and where I was an altar boy and where I uh, sang in the choir and where I took my first organ lessons. And uh, there are 88 steps I climbed every day to go to school. Wow. Great. Yeah. (laughs) I guess when did you know that you wanted to kind of pursue a career in music? Did you have that, uh, that just light bulb popped one day? Uh, I guess, did you have maybe some musical influences that pushed you towards it? Well, I, I would say it kind of emerged while I was in high school. The thing at that time though, is like everybody thought I was gonna be uh, a world-renowned clarinetist because that was my first instrument. And I was more involved with band and marching band. I'm another one of the GIA former drum majors. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and all of that, uh, I did take organ lessons and I played the organ at mass and all of that. But it wasn't then until my second year in college in music school that I switched my major from uh, clarinet performance to music theory and composition and my major instrument to the organ. So I would put it somewhere in my high school years, although, you know, the high school age Alan would not have envisioned (laughs) this as his uh, lifelong musical career. Yeah, that kind of brings us to the next kind of question. After, you know, you finished schooling and everything, can you tell us a little bit about how you first began work at WOP slash J.S. Pollock? And I guess, you know, some fun moments or, or fun people that have stood out along the way. Well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to try and do kind of a TikTok version of uh, some of the schooling because that, you know, come, that plays a role in all of this. Uh, Definitely. So, you know, I did uh, I went to music school undergraduate uh, uh, finished. I was an organist at the cathedral in Milwaukee where I had gone to school. Like uh, lots of young men, I felt that, you know, my desire to serve the church meant a vocation to be ordained. And my early 20s wanderlust uh, took me to Baltimore to the seminary, where I did finish the theology degree, but not priestly formation. 
So I came back to the Midwest and worked in a parish and then ended up going to a school at Notre Dame uh, where they had a dual program in music and liturgy. So that's just a, a snapshot. So I was reading the um, National Catholic Reporter and there was this job in the job wanted section uh, for uh, J.S. Pollock World Library Publications. And the job was actually in promotions. So I went, I interviewed, I auditioned, and they, they gave me the job. And it, it turned out that I was really, really uh, the wrong fit for that position. I, you know, introverts are good at staying in practice rooms and, you know, spending two or three hours working on a page of Bach or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, we're much better at that than cold calling diocesan liturgy offices and, and going out on the road, even though I've gotten a lot more comfortable with that aspect of this over the years. So their honest to goodness was a help wanted ad that I answered. <laughs> and so, and, you know, that I, there, there have been just, you know, so many, so many opportunities that I'm grateful for and so many things that would not have happened had I not uh, made this connection to WLP. But I would say um, just as a, a a major highlight was for five years or so, I got to work with Father Lucian Dess, who is known in the US as a composer of some biblical hymns, but uh, he was the one selected by Paul VI to coordinate all the responsorial psalms for the mm -hmm. Mass um, after Vatican II. And uh, I would say the holiest person I've ever met. So it was just, you know, to have my little connection with that moment of you know Catholic liturgical history and to really stand in the presence of God's grace. You know, he was, you know, a brilliant uh, scholar, taught himself a few languages after the five he knew originally and all this, but his his great love was going and doing missionary work among the poorest of the poor. And yeah. And, you know, eventually the, all the times he contracted malaria, um, either in South America or Africa, is eventually what caused his heart condition that led to his death. So that was a, a, an experience I don't think I would have had another way. But uh, selfishly, uh, personally, I will say working on the book St. Cecilia's Orchestra with Brother Mickey McGrath was just a personally gratifying uh, experience. Uh, Brother Mickey's art is just so, so wonderful and, you know, whimsical. And I love, he has, a, you know, the Holy Spirit appears in every picture, which I think is just great. And, you know, as a hymn text writer, I don't often get to use word, words like uh, root to tutti, but writing, <laughs> it's the, but writing the poems for St. Cecilia's orchestra, I really, really got to expand and, you know, make little puns and all kinds of you know, vocabulary and everything that I don't get to do normally. Right. So, I mean, that was definitely another highlight. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I know recently, uh, was it April 2020, you celebrated your third year anniversary at WLP? Is that correct? So if, yeah. uh, yes. 
If I were to go back to, you know, younger Alan, when he was looking at that job posting and saying, Hey, you're going to be here for 30 years. What, you know, what would you have said? And what, I guess, you know, 30 years at any company is a hell of an accomplishment. So, you know, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how, how Alan of 1991 (laughs) would have felt about it, but you know, in um, September of 2020, I began my 50th year as a Sunday by Sunday uh, church musician. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I did start very young. So doing things long-term was something I already knew. Um, I wasn't sure if you had told me I would stay in music publishing for 30 years, I would have believed you, uh, especially in those early days of me turning out not to be a very good salesman. Uh, but um, what was nice, for me this year, uh, my work anniversary is April 1st. So, you know, that there's always a little bit of humility that comes with your anniversary being on April Fool's Day. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the great thing uh, this year was that that day also landed on, on Holy Thursday. So for me, that was just, you know, a great a reminder and a calling back to, you know, what this is really about. It's, a, you know, really about of be, being of service. So I, I just uh, rejoiced, you know, that uh, I've had this 30, 30 year stretch of my life that I hope I've been able to do some good things and these years have been good for me, I can say. So, yeah. So yeah. Younger, younger Alan maybe would have been a little skeptical about the 30 year thing, but yeah. Older, older Alan is a hundred percent grateful. For sure. Well, congrats again. Again, that's, you know, like we said, that's a, a hell of an accomplishment and you've, you know, you've cert- this church is certainly in a better place because of uh, your, your contribution. So we thank you for that. Definitely. Next question. I know it's going to be a, a, a tough one for you. So I know it's tough for all composers, you know, hymn writers to pick their favorite children, so to speak, when it comes to their work. But I guess, what are a few of your favorite compositions that you've produced or hymn texts that you've written that uh, really stand out to you? Well, you know, every time I'm asked that question, I, there's a, I remember reading the opera composer Donizetti was asked that question and he said, well, every father is always, you know, the most fond of his uh, sickly children. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I, I, I happily, I can say that's not the case for me. Um, I, I would have to say in terms of, uh, you know, personal pride uh, for compositions, uh, the first two pieces I wrote in the Psalms Without Words series, uh, two pieces for flute and piano. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not only did they launch that series, I was just, uh, and, and I continue to be just so pleased with those pieces as pieces of music. Uh, so I do, I do take some pride in, in those two. And you know, for uh, hymn texts, the text that is most widely known of mine is From Ashes to the Living Font. Right. And I know that has helped do some, you know, I think very good, hopefully good catechesis about you know, the season of Lent. And you know, my vision for it was to communicate that the destiny of Ash Wednesday is really Pentecost Sunday. That's all one big arc. So, but uh, a more recent one that um, I like is the title uh, hymn text from my Breath of Christ 
hymnary that just came out in 2019. And it's uh, inspired by this scene in uh, chapter 21 of John, where Jesus, uh, just risen from the dead, breathes on his followers and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, I have loved that scene for so long and I've wanted to write a hymn text about it for so long, but it just never quite came the right way. But uh, in you know 2019, it finally started to pull together and uh, the whole sense of the breath coming out of the body of the risen Jesus, the risen Christ being inhaled by his followers, mm-hmm. you know, that, that really deep, deep connection. Um, uh, this is going to get a little nerdy right now, but uh, there's a device called anadiplosis where the last word of one line becomes the first word of the next line. And so I use that device throughout that hymn text because to me, I, it was finally a way, you know, not overtly, but to kind of, you know, under underneath to convey that, that real deep connection between the breath of Christ and the breath of his followers. That is what the Holy Spirit is to me. So I would, I would say those, those two. <laughs> Definitely. And at all listeners, you could order those pieces right off our website. So next question, uh, GI and WOP have been together close to about a year and a half or so now. So coming from the WOP side, I guess, how has the acquisition gone for you? And then follow up part of that question is anytime, you know, we, I talk about GI and WOP coming together. The first thing people usually say is just what a blessing it is for the church. So I guess in your, in your opinion, why do you think it's such a great thing for the church moving forward? Well, I think it's always nice and it's a good thing when strength builds on strength. So there you know, are definite strengths that uh, both WLP and GIA had and continue to have. I'll just be very, very honest uh, that my one of my concerns was that some of the, I don't know, identity maybe of WLP product lines and so forth would be lost, but mm-hmm. it's really been gratifying to, to see that preserved. I think that liturgical music is kind of an ecosystem and like all ecosystems, it is stronger when there's some kind of diversity going on in it. So it's really been very gratifying to see that that strength that WLP brought added to the strengths that GIA already had. It's, it's really been very gratifying. And I think that the way it has, you know, even through everything with the pandemic of the last year or so, right? you know, just the way things have continued to be accomplished and you know, a new gather hymnal, you know, but we've continued to put out the periodic publications from WLP. Yeah, Voices. That, yeah, and, you know, the new Voices hymnal came out. Mm-hmm. There's just so much that has still gone on, even with all of this, you know, other uh, COVID-19 and pandemic, you know, changes in work environment and everything. It's just, I think, a real, a real testimony to that strength on strength that this really, really signifies. Very well said. Definitely. It's nice to see some churches starting to now safely open up a little bit, uh, singing, returning to mass and 
choirs across the country starting to pick up a little bit. So as a church musician, I'm sure you're very excited to see this. You uh, already mentioned that you guys are uh, had just finished Zoom church. So I guess uh, has your church begun to, you know, return to semi-normal and what has that looked like? And, you know, how, how has that been, you know, going back to, to normal after all this time? Well, I, I have to say the, the self-learning thing that this has really been is, you know, I don't, I don't ever think of, you know, the congregation at church as the audience, but this is, it, it has uh, been an example for me of how deeply I understand ministry through music or, you know, any ministry, but my ministry through music as being something I do as a person for and with other people. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm not you know, hungry for an audience, but I, I have been very, very hungry for that connection. Right. You know, and, you know, when we did for Zoom Church, we you know, recorded things. So, of course, as a musician, I would, you know, hear the recording and is like notice every single mistake. But, uh, but, but also to, you know, there was always, there was the, the technology disconnect, you know, thank goodness for the gift and all the things that the technology has enabled, but it's really a joy to be back ministering in person. Definitely. So we'll switch tunes, uh, some more casual questions here. First one I got for you are, what are some hobbies that you have or things that you like to do in your free time? I know it's probably not much free time between your, your work at GIA and your, your church work as well. But uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you like to do uh, when you got some time on your hands? Well, you know, it's, I'm so really happy with the return of the warm weather finally uh, in the Chicago area because I, I love to be outside. I especially uh, love to uh, bicycle during the summer. Um, I'm not quite as avid a uh, bicyclist as uh, my colleague Keith Kalemba, but I do love to be out yes. playing. I, I love to grill outside, so that's going to be happening this weekend as well. Oh, yeah. And, and one of the things I enjoy living someplace like Chicago is that there's, you know, such an, uh, a wide spectrum of things to do. You know, and I know there was, there was one week where, you know, I went in the same week, I went to like a Chicago Wolves hockey game. And you know, I think that was the same week I went to see uh, the Nutcracker at the Joffrey Ballet. <laughs> so yeah. It's just great that you can, you know, you have all of, all of these, these things that, you know, available to you. And it's nice to see all of that reopening again, the summer music festivals, and the street art festivals and everything, you know, opening back up. I'm really, really looking forward to this uh, summer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Chicago is a very cool city for the summer. Um, I have to go back on that real quick, just because I love to grill myself. What are a few of your favorite things you like to put on the grill? Well, I, this this weekend, I'm going to start with the classics, uh, you know, just burgers, brats, that kind of thing. And then, you know, I go a little further. Um, I'll be probably doing some steaks and chicken. And I, I love making these little uh, potato packets where you, you grill up, you, you start to grill up some potatoes and onions together, then you put them in foil packets. 
pan on top of the warming grill and then grill up some more veggies, you know, kebabs, um, all, kebabs, that, yes. all that sort of thing. Yeah. That's I'm, good. I'm, I'm thinking about maybe having a, you know, kind of a build your own kebab thing. If, if we continue, you, know, <laughs> you can have uh, groups together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good idea for sure. Yeah. Kebabs are always, always hit the spot. Next question, a uh, pretty popular question with uh, some of my guests here. So what are some good movies or TV shows that you've seen recently that you'd recommend to our listeners? Oh, well, well, you know, coincidentally, the very first movie uh, my folks took us to see was 101 Dalmatians Yeah, at the, at the drive-in. And so I still have this memory as a little boy of seeing, you know, like three-story tall Cruella de Vil. So just a couple nights ago, uh, ready to go back into a movie theater. So it seemed like the movie I needed to see was Cruella. Yeah. I, I really, I enjoyed it. And especially the, the soundtrack is so great. It's just like all over the map. It's you know, like Doris Day and then The Clash. And then there's a new theme song by Florence and the Machine. But then they do a little tip of the hat to the song from the original movie. It was really, really wonderful. Um, as a TV watcher, I tend to be, I, I tend to get really, really behind. And so somebody, you know, has to talk about something for a couple of years before I decide to tune in. So like a lot of my friends in classical music were talking about uh, Mozart in the jungle. And so, you know, I'm thinking like probably three years after the series came out, I'm, I'm finally watching it and really, really, love, really, really loving it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I always get way behind. I have a bunch of stuff DVR'd, and I'm like, I go when I have some time. I'm like, all right, where do I even start? But it's well, my, <laughs> my my confession moment is that probably half of my DVR is uh, old episodes of Monk with Tony ah, yeah. I, I, I I love watching that show, even even in reruns. I mean, he's just so incredible, and and the the writing is really great. I really really do, do love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that about Cruella too. My wife is a huge Disney fan, and movie looks good, and you know Emma Stone's great as well. So that that uh, definitely a winning combination there. Next question. So you've done a great deal of traveling in your career as a you know workshop presenter, and on behalf of WOP, of course. So I guess what have been some of your favorite cities that you've traveled to? Uh, maybe you know you weren't didn't particularly know a lot about the city. It might've been a pleasant surprise when you got there, it, you know, a lot of fun stuff to do, but I know, like I said, I know you're a well, well-traveled guy. So I'm interested to hear about some of the cities you've been to. Well, for professional conferences, they tend to have a little more time structured in that you can actually go out to see the city. You know, when you're going someplace just to do a workshop or a reading session, right. you know, I, I have a friend who said, you know, used to say is like, I don't know if I'm in midtown Manhattan or I'm in mid, mid middle of Montana, you know, cause you just spend so much time in your hotel and then a conference room. But so I, the one summer for the hymn society, uh, we w were in Ottawa and I know I had been to Ottawa when I was maybe 10 years old, but I didn't remember much about it, but I would say that was a place that I really uh, loved going back to as an adult you know it's a completely bilingual city and you know you go out to eat and the server greets you in French and in English and, <laughs> and it's you know it's 
it's not a, an enormous city, but there's still a, the Museum of the First Nations in Ottawa is really, really incredible. Um, so it, it's just a really, really great place. Uh, the St. Lawrence River freezes over in winter. So I would say, you know, definitely go in July. Um, <laughs> yeah, with you know, things like the workshops and music reading sessions and all of that, those tend to be about the people and, and not the location as much. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing that I always come back with after doing something like that, a, a reading session or a workshop is just how marvelous the people are everywhere. I'm just always inspired by the dedication that people have and, you know, and their eagerness to you know, maybe learn something new or find a new piece of music that will serve their communities. It's always, it, it always is inspiring. I, I cannot think of a single music reading session or you know, a local workshop or anything like that that I've come back from that I haven't in some way been inspired by the people who attended. So that's, you know, not location so much, but that's the right people, I, you know, I, I definitely have had some uh, favorite work trip locations. As well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm sure there's, you know, a couple stories that you can't really tell on the air. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe when you're older. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. All right. So we'll wrap up with this next question. Uh, kind of a, again, a, another broad question, but kind of the way I wrap up with, with the majority of my guests. So what's next for Alan Hummerding? Um, well, after lunch, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> well, I, um, I, I finally just around Easter time finished up the manuscript for a, a new book. Um, the work I've done with uh, text writers, um, I'm leading the text writers uh, colloquium for hymn society this summer. So the work I've done over the years with text writers and with composers who write their own texts, um, you know, as an editor, a colleague, uh, a coach, mentor, whatever you want to call, um, there was, there was something sort of formulating inside of me and I didn't know what, but I, so I finally, finally uh, did this uh, book called The Pen of a Nimble Scribe and it uses the church here and it has different, what, what are called writing prompts. So it uses the seasons of the church here to look at, you know, the scriptures maybe in a new way and to help, help people writing to, you know, write in a different way because the two major complaints that come up all the time are, how do I start? Where do I start? What should I write about? How do I, you know, I feel like I'm in a rut. I feel like I'm on a plateau. So this, yeah. this book, I mean, uh, the manuscript is currently being reviewed, so we'll see. Uh, but this, this was intended to kind of provide some guidance or maybe a new direction, you know, for people who are doing doing some of their own writing and you know and I can see it even people who write the intercessions you know for Sunday mass and all of that might even find a little bit of help therein so we'll see about that but then what's next uh I, I I'm very very fond of saying you know Sunday after Sunday uh we pray in the creed I believe in the Holy Spirit so so 
if I've learned something over the past 30 years, it's that every now and then you're at a stage where you're, you believe in the Holy Spirit and you believe that something will uh, present itself or, you know, your vision will be opened in a new way uh, that, you know, prompted by the guidance of the Spirit or if you want, I guess I should say, you know, uh, filled with the breath of Christ, <laughs> whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that, that will lead, that will lead me or will help me on to the next thing, whatever that may be. Right. Awesome. Well, very good, Alan. We are done. We got through everything very, very smooth. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, you have yourself a, a good weekend. All right. All right. You too. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Okay, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Alan Hummerding. For a limited time, we'll offer all Encore listeners 10% off Alan's newest hymn text collection, Breath of Christ. Breath of Christ presents more than 50 hymn texts written since Alan's previous collection, Song of the Spirit. Some of these texts have appeared in anthem settings or hymnals, and others are completely new. Many are set to music created specifically for this collection. Go to www.giamusic.com and search Breath of Christ, or you can also search its product number 006433 and enter the code ENCORE10 at checkout. That's E-N-C-O-R-E and the number 10. But hurry, the offer is only good until June 24th. Thank you for tuning in to episode 9 of Encore. We'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. As always, stay tuned to GIA social media channels and soundboard.giamusic.com for updates. Until next time, take care, everyone.